Chapter Three of The Temptation of Saint Anthony by Gustave Flaubert, translated by Lafcadio Hearn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tony Addison. Two. Then a great shadow, subtler than any natural shadow, and festooned by other shadows along its edges, defines itself upon the ground. It is the devil, leaning upon the roof of the hut, and bearing beneath his wings, like some gigantic bat, suckling its little ones, the seven deadly sins, whose grimacing heads are dimly distinguishable. With eyes still closed, Antony yields to the pleasure of inaction, and stretches his limbs upon the mat. It seems to him quite soft and yet softer, so that it becomes as if padded. It rises up, it becomes a bed, the bed becomes a shallop, water laps against its sides. To right and left rise two long tongues of land, overlooking low cultivated plains, with a sycamore tree here and there. In the distance there is a tinkling of bells, a sound of drums, and of singers it is a party going to canopus to sleep upon the temple of serapis in order to have dreams antony knows this and impelled by the wind his boat glides along between the banks papyrus leaves and the red flowers of the nymphia larger than the body of a man bend over him he is lying at the bottom of the boat. One oar at the stern drags in the water. From time to time a lukewarm wind blows, and the slender reeds rub one against the other and rustle. Then the sobbing of the wavelets becomes indistinct. A heavy drowsiness falls upon him. He dreams that he is a solitary of egypt then he awakes with a start did i dream it was all so vivid that i can scarcely believe i was dreaming oh my tongue burns i am thirsty he enters the cabin and gropes at random in the dark the ground is wet can it have been raining or oh, what can this mean my pitcher is broken into atoms but the goatskin he finds it empty completely empty in order to get down to the river i should have to walk for at least three hours and the night is so dark that i could not see my way there is a gnawing in my entrails where is the bread after long searching he picks up a crust not so large as an egg what have the jackals taken it ah oh, malediction and he flings the bread upon the ground with fury no sooner has the action occurred than a table makes its appearance covered with all things that are good to eat the byssus cloth striated like the bandolets of the sphinx produces of itself luminous undulations upon it are enormous quarters of red meats 
huge fish, birds cooked in their plumage, and quadrupeds in their skins, fruits with colours and tints almost human in appearance, while fragments of cooling ice and flagons of violet crystal reflect each other's glittering. Antony notices in the middle of the table a boar smoking at every pore, with legs doubled up under its belly and eyes half closed, and the idea of being able to eat so formidable an animal greatly delights him. Then many things appear which he has never seen before, black hashes, jellies the colour of gold, ragouts in which mushrooms float like nenuphars upon ponds, dishes of whipped cream light as clouds. And the aroma of all this comes to him, together with the salt smell of the ocean, the coolness of mountains, the great perfumes of the woods. He dilates his nostrils to their fullest extent, his mouth waters. He thinks to himself that he has enough before him for a year, for ten years, for his whole life. As he gazes with widely opened eyes at all these viands, others appear. They accumulate, forming a pyramid crumbling at all its angles the wines begin to flow over the fish pulpitate the blood seethes in the dishes the pulp of the fruit protrudes like amorous lips and the table rises as high as his breast up to his very chin at last now bearing only one plate and a single loaf of bread placed exactly in front of him he extends his hand to seize the loaf other loaves immediately present themselves to his grasp for me all these but antony suddenly draws back instead of one which was there lo there are many it must be a miracle then the same as our lord wrought yet for what purpose ah uh, all the rest of these things are equally incomprehensible demon begone from me depart begone he kicks the table from him it disappears nothing more no he draws a long breath. Ah, the temptation was strong, but how well I delivered myself from it. He lifts his head, and at the same time stumbles over some sonorous object. Why, what can that be? Antony stoops down. How, a cup, some traveller must have lost it here. Oh, there is nothing extraordinary. He wets his finger and rubs. It glitters, metal. Still, I cannot see very clearly. He lights his torch and examines the cup. It is silver, ornamented with ovules about the rim, with a medal at the bottom of it. He detaches the medal with his nail. It is a piece of money, worth about seven or eight drachmas, not more. It matters not. Even with that, I could easily buy myself a sheepskin. A sudden flash of the torch lights up the cup. Impossible gold! Yes, all gold, solid gold! A still larger piece of money appears at the bottom. 
under it he perceives several others why oh, this is a sum large enough to purchase three oxen and a little field the cup is now filled with pieces of gold what what a hundred slaves soldiers a host enough to buy the granulations of the rim detaching themselves form a necklace of pearls with such a marvel of jewellery as that one could win even the wife of the emperor by a sudden jerk antony makes the necklace slip down over his wrist he holds the cup in his left hand and with his right lifts up the torch so as to throw the light upon it as water streams overflowing from the basin of a phantom so diamonds carbuncles and sapphires all mingled with broad pieces of gold bearing the effigies of kings overflow from the cup in never-ceasing streams to form a glittering hillock upon the sand what how status cycles dariacs ariantics alexander demetrius the ptolemy caesar yet not one of them all possessed so much nothing is now impossible no more suffering for me oh how these gleams dazzle my eyes oh my heart overflows how delightful it is yes yes more yet oh never could there be enough vainly i might continually fling it into the sea there would always be plenty remaining for me why should i lose any of it i will keep all and say nothing to anyone about it i will have a chamber hollowed out for me in the rock and lined with plates of bronze and i will come here from time to time to feel the gold sinking down under the weight of my heel i will plunge my arms into it as into sacks of grain i will rub my face with it i will lie down upon it he flings down the torch in order to embrace the glittering heap and falls flat upon the ground he rises to his feet the place is wholly empty what have I done? Had I died during those moments, I should have gone to hell, to irrevocable damnation. He trembles in every limb. Am I then accursed? Ah, oh, no, it is my own fault. I allow myself to be caught in every snare. No man could be more imbecile, more infamous. I should like to beat myself, or rather to tear myself out of my own body. I have restrained myself too long, I feel the want of vengeance, the necessity of striking, of killing, as though I had a pack of wild beasts within me. Would that I could hew my way with an axe through the midst of a multitude. Ah, a poignard! He perceives his knife and rushes to seize it. The knife slips from his hand, and Antony remains, leaning against the wall of his hut, with wide open mouth, motionless, cataleptic everything about him has disappeared he thinks himself at alexandria upon the paneum an artificial mountain in the centre of the city encircled by a winding stairway before him lies lake mariolis on his right hand is the sea on his left the country and immediately beneath him a vast confusion of flat roofs traversed from north to south and from east to west by two streets which intercross 
and which offer throughout their entire length the spectacle of files of porticoes with corinthian columns the houses overhanging this double colonnade have windows of stained glass some of them support exteriorly enormous wooden cages into which the fresh air rushes from without monuments of various architecture tower up in close proximity egyptian pylons dominate greek temples obelisks appear like lances above battlements of red brick in the middle of public squares there are figures of hermes with pointed ears and of anubis with the head of a dog antony can distinguish the mosaic pavements of the courtyards and tapestries suspended from the beams of ceilings he beholds at one glance the two ports the great port and the eunostus both round as circuses and separated by a mole connecting alexandria with the craggy island upon which the pharos tower rises quadrangular five hundred cubits high nine storied having at its summit a smoking heap of black coals small interior ports open into the larger ones the mole terminates at each end in a bridge supported upon marble columns planted in the sea sailing vessels pass beneath it while heavy lighters overladen with merchandise thalamegii inlaid with ivory gondolas covered with awnings triremes biremes and all sorts of vessels are moving to and fro or lie moored at the wharves about the great port extends an unbroken array of royal construction the palace of the ptolemies the museum the posidium the caesarium the timonium where mark antony sought refuge the soma which contains the tomb of alexander while at the other extremity of the city beyond the eunostus the great glass factories perfume factories and papyrus factories may be perceived in a suburban quarter strolling peddlers porters ass-drivers run and jostle together here and there one observes some priest of isis wearing a panther skin on his shoulders a roman soldier with his bronze helmet and many negroes at the threshold of the shops women pause artisans ply their trades and the grinding noise of chariot wheels puts to flight the birds that devour the detritus of the butcher shops and the morsels of fish left upon the ground the general outline of the streets seems like a black network flung upon the white uniformity of the houses the markets stocked with herbs make green bouquets in the midst of it the drying yards of the dyers blotches of colour the golden ornaments of the temple pediments luminous points all comprised within the oval enclosure of the grey ramparts under the vault of the blue heaven 
beside the motionless sea. But suddenly the movement of the crowd ceases. All turn their eyes toward the west, whence enormous whirlwinds of dust are seen approaching. It is the coming of the monks of the Thabayad, all clad in goatskins, armed with cudgels, roaring a canticle of battle under faith with the refrain, Where are they? Where are they? Antony understands that they are coming to kill the Arians. The streets are suddenly emptied, only flying feet are visible. The solitaries are now in the city, their formidable cudgels studded with nails, whirl in the air like suns of steel. The crash of things broken in the houses is heard. There are intervals of silence. Then great screams arise. From one end of the street to the other there is a continual eddy of terrified people. Many grasp pikes. Sometimes two bands meet, rush into one, and this mass of men slips upon the pavement, fighting, disjointing, knocking down, but the men with the long hair always reappear. Threads of smoke begin to escape from the corners of edifices. Folding doors burst open. Portions of walls crumble down. Architraves fall. Antony finds all his enemies again, one after the other. He even recognizes some whom he had altogether forgotten. Before killing them, he outrages them. He disembowels, he severs throats, he fells as in a slaughterhouse, he hails old men by the beard, crushes children, smites the wounded, and vengeance is taken upon luxury. Those who do not know how to read tear up books, others smash and deface the statues, paintings, furniture, caskets, a thousand dainty things, the use of which they do not know, and which simply for that reason exasperates them. At intervals they pause, out of breath, in the work of destruction. Then they recommence. The inhabitants moan in the courtyards where they have sought refuge. The women raise their tearful eyes and lift their naked arms to heaven. In hope of moving the solitaries, they embrace their knees. The men cast them off and fling them down, and the blood gushes to the ceilings falls back upon the walls like sheets of rain, streams from the trunks of decapitated corpses, fills the aqueducts, forms huge red pools upon the ground. Antony is up to his knees in it. He wades in it. He sucks up the blood spray on his lips. He is thrilled with joy as he feels it upon his limbs, under his hair tunic, which is soaked through with it night comes the immense uproar dies away the solitaries have disappeared suddenly upon the outer galleries corresponding to each of the nine stories of the pharos antony observes thick black lines forming like lines of crows perching he hurries thither and soon finds himself at the summit a huge mirror of brass turned toward the open sea reflects the forms of the vessels in the offing antony amuses himself by watching them and while he watches their number increases they are grouped together within a gulf 
which has the form of a crescent upon a promontory in the background towers a new city of roman architecture with cupolas of stone conical roofs gleams of pink and blue marbles and a profusion of brazen ornamentation applied to the volutes of the capitals to the angles of the cornices to the summits of the edifices a cypress wood overhangs the city the line of the sea is greener the air colder the mountains lining the horizon are capped with snow antony is trying to find his way when a man approaches him and says come they are waiting for you he traverses a forum enters a great court stoops beneath a low door and he arrives before the facade of the palace decorated with a group in wax representing constantine overcoming a dragon there is a porphyry basin from the centre of which rises a golden conch shell full of nuts his guide tells him that he may take some of them he does so then he is lost as it were in a long succession of apartments there are mosaics upon the walls representing generals presenting the emperor with conquered cities which they hold out upon the palms of their hands and there are columns of basalt everywhere trellis work in silver filigree ivory chairs tapestries embroidered with pearls the light falls from the vaults above antony still proceeds warm exhalations circulate about him occasionally he hears the discreet clapping sound of sandals upon the pavement posted in the antechambers are guards who resemble automata holding wands of vermilion upon their shoulders at last he finds himself in a great hall with hyacinth-coloured curtains at the further end they part and display the emperor seated on a throne clad in a violet tunic and wearing red shoes striped with bands of black a diadem of pearls surround his head his locks are arranged symmetrically in rouleau he has a straight nose drooping eyelids a heavy and cunning physiognomy at the four corners of the dais stretched above his head are placed four golden doves and at the foot of the throne are two lions in enamel crouching the doves begin to sing the lions to roar the emperor rolls his eyes antony advances and forthwith without preamble they commence to converse about recent events in the cities of antioch ephesus and alexandria the temples have been sacked and the statues of the gods converted into pots and cooking utensils the emperor laughs heartily about it antony reproaches him with his tolerance towards the novations but the emperor becomes vexed 
novations arians or miletians he is sick of them all nevertheless he admires the episcopate for inasmuch as the christians maintain bishops who depend for their position upon five or six important personages it is only necessary to gain over the latter in order to have all the rest on one side therefore he did not fail to furnish them with large sums but he detests the fathers of the council of nicaea let us go and see them antony follows him and they find themselves on the terrace upon the same floor it overlooks a hippodrome thronged with people and surmounted by porticoes where other spectators are walking to and fro from the centre of the race-course rises a narrow platform of hewn stone supporting a little temple of mercury the statue of constantine and three serpents of brass twisted into a column there are three huge wooden eggs at one end and at the other a group of seven dolphins with their tails in the air behind the imperial pavilion sit the prefects of the chambers the counts of the domestics and the patricians in ranks rising by tiers to the first story of a church whose windows are thronged with women on the right is the tribune of the blue faction on the left that of the green below a picket of soldiers is stationed and on a level with the arena is a row of corinthian arches forming the entrances to the stables the races are about to commence the horses are drawn up in line lofty plumes fastened between their ears bend to the wind like saplings and with every restive bound they shake their chariots violently which are shell-shaped and conducted by charioteers clad in a sort of multicoloured cuirass having sleeves tight at the wrist and wide in the arms their legs are bare their beards faces and foreheads are shaven after the manner of the huns antony is at first deafened by the billowy sound of voices from the summit of the hippodrome to its lowest tiers he sees only faces painted with rouge garments chequered and variegated with many colours flashing jewellery and the sand of the arena all white gleams like a mirror the emperor entertains him he confides to him many matters of high importance many secrets he confesses the assassination of his son creopus and even asks antony for advice regarding his health meanwhile antony notices some slaves in the rear portion of the stables below they are the fathers of nicaea ragged and abject the martyr papnutius is brushing the mane of one horse theophilus is washing the legs of another john is painting the hooves of a third alexander is collecting dung in a basket antony passes through the midst of them 
they range themselves on either side respectfully they beseech his intercession they kiss his hands the whole assemblage of spectators hoots at them and he enjoys the spectacle with immeasurable pleasure lo he is now one of the grandees of the court the emperor's confidant the prime minister constantine places his own diadem upon his brows antony allows it to remain upon his head thinking this honour quite natural and suddenly in the midst of the darkness a vast hall appears illuminated by golden candelabra candles so lofty that they are half lost in the darkness stretch away in huge files beyond the lines of banquet tables which seem to extend to the horizon where through a luminous haze loom superpositions of stairways suites of arcades colossi towers and beyond all a vague border of palace walls above which rise the crests of cedars making yet blacker masses of blackness against the darkness the guests crowned with violet wreaths recline upon very low couches and are leaning upon their elbows along the whole length of this double line of couches wine is being poured out from amphorae and at the further end all alone coiffed with the tiara and blazing with carbuncles king nebuchadnezzar eats and drinks on his right and left two bands of priests in pointed caps are swinging censers on the pavement below crawl the captive kings whose hands and feet have been cut off from time to time he flings them bones to gnaw further off sit his brothers with bandages across their eyes being all blind from the depths of the egastula arise moans of ceaseless pain sweet slow sounds of a hydraulic organ alternate with choruses of song and one feels that all about the palace without extends an immeasurable city an ocean of human life whose waves break against the walls the slaves run hither and thither carrying dishes women walk between the ranks of guests offering drinks to all the baskets groan under their burthen of loaves and a dromedary laden with perforated water-skins passes and repasses through the hall sprinkling and cooling the pavement with vervain lion tamers are leading tamed lions about dancing girls their hair confined in nets balance themselves and turn upon their hands emitting fire through their nostrils negro boatmen are juggling naked children pelt each other with pellets of snow which burst against the bright silverware there is an awful clamour as of a tempest and a huge cloud hangs over the banquet so numerous are the meats and breaths sometimes a flake of fire torn from the great flambeau by the wind traverses the night 
like a shooting star. The king wipes the perfumes from his face with his arm. He eats from the sacred vessels, then breaks them, and secretly reckons up the number of his fleets, his armies, and his subjects. By and by, for a new caprice, he will burn his palace with all its guests. He dreams of rebuilding the Tower of Babel, and dethroning God. Antony, from afar off, reads all these thoughts upon his brow. They penetrate his own brain, and he becomes Nebuchadnezzar. Immediately he is cloyed with orgiastic excesses, sated with fury of extermination, and a great desire comes upon him to wallow in vileness, for the degradation of that which terrifies men is an outrage inflicted upon their minds. It affords yet one more way to stupefy them, and as nothing is viler than a brute, Antony goes upon the table on all fours and bellows like a bull. He feels a sudden pain in his hand. A pebble has accidentally wounded him, and he finds himself once more in front of his cabin. The circle of the rocks is empty. The stars are glowing in the sky. All is hushed. Again have I allowed myself to be deceived. Why these things? They come from the rebellion of the flesh, ah, wretch! He rushes into his cabin and seizes a bunch of thongs with metallic hooks attached to their ends, strips himself to the waist, and lifting his eyes to heaven, exclaims, Accept my penance, O my God, disdain it not for its feebleness, under its sharp, prolonged, excessive, it is time indeed to the work. He gives himself a vigorous lash, and shrieks, No, no, without mercy it must be. He recommences, Oh, 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 each lash has my skin rends my limbs, it burns me horribly. Nay, it is not so very terrible after all. One becomes accustomed to it, it even seems to me. Antony pauses. Continue, coward, continue. Good, good. Upon the arms, on the back, on the breast, on the belly, everywhere. Hiss, ye thongs, bite me, tear me. I would that my blood could spurt to the stars, let my bones crack, let my tendons be laid bare, over pincers, racks, and melted lead. The martyrs have endured far worse, have they not, Ammonaria? The shadow of the devil's horns reappears. I might have been bound to the column opposite to thine, face to face, under thy eyes, answering thy shrieks by my sighs, and our pangs might have been interblended, our souls intermingled. He lashes himself with fury. What? What? Again, take that! But her strange titillation thrills me. What punishment, what pleasure! I feel as though receiving invisible kisses. The very marrow of my bones seems to melt. I die! And he sees before him three cavaliers mounted upon onagers, clad in robes of green, each holding a lily in his hand, and all resembling each other in feature. Antony turns round, and beholds three other cavaliers, exactly similar, riding upon similar onagers, and preserving the same attitude. He draws back. Then all the onagers advance one pace at the same time, and rub their noses against him, trying to bite his garment. Voices shout, Here! Here! This way! 
and between the clefts of the mountain appear standards camels heads with halters of red silk mules laden with baggage and women covered with yellow veils bestriding piebald horses the panting beasts lie down the slaves rush to the bales and packages motley striped carpets are unrolled precious glimmering things are laid upon the ground a white elephant caparisoned with a golden net trots forward shaking the tuft of ostrich plumes attached to his headband upon his back perched on cushions of blue wool with her legs crossed her eyes half closed her comely head sleepily nodding is a woman so splendidly clad that she radiates light about her the crowd falls prostrate the elephant bends his knees and the queen of sheba letting herself glide down from his shoulder upon the carpets spread to receive her approaches saint anthony her robe of gold brocade regularly divided by furbelows of pearls of jet and of sapphires sheathes her figure closely with its tight-fitting bodice set off by coloured designs representing the twelve signs of the zodiac she wears very high patterns one of which is black and sprinkled with silver stars with a moon crescent the other which is white is sprinkled with a spray of gold with a golden sun in the middle her wide sleeves decorated with emeralds and bird plumes leave exposed her little round bare arms clasped at the wrist by ebony bracelets and her hands loaded with precious rings are terminated by nails so sharply pointed that the ends of her fingers seem almost like needles a chain of dead gold passing under her chin is caught up on either side of her face and spirally coiled about her coiffure whence redescending it grazes her shoulders and is attached upon her bosom to a diamond scorpion which protrudes a jewelled tongue between her breasts two immense blonde pearls depend heavily from her ears the borders of her eyelids are painted black there is a natural brown spot upon her left cheek and she opens her mouth in breathing as if her corset inconvenienced her she shakes as she approaches a green parasol with an ivory handle and silver gilt bells attached to its rim twelve little woolly-haired negro boys support the long train of her robe whereof an ape holds the extremity which it raises up from time to time she exclaims ah handsome hermit handsome hermit my heart swoons 
by dint of stamping upon the ground with impatience callosities have formed upon my heel and i have broken one of my nails i sent out shepherds who remained upon the mountain tops shading their eyes with their hands and hunters who shouted thy name in all the forests and spies who travelled along the highways asking every passer-by hast thou seen him by night i wept with my face turned to the wall and at last my tears made two little holes in the mosaic like two pools of water among the rocks for i love thee oh how i love thee she takes him by the beard laugh now handsome hermit laugh i am very joyous very gay thou shalt soon see i play the lyre i dance like a bee and i know a host of merry tales to tell each more diverting than the other thou canst not even imagine how mighty a journey we have made see the onagers upon which the green couriers rode are dead with fatigue the onagers are lying motionless upon the ground for three long moons they never cease to gallop on with the same equal pace holding flints between their teeth to cut the wind their tails ever streaming out behind them their sinews perpetually strained to the uttermost always galloping galloping never can others be found like them they were bequeathed me by my paternal grandfather the emperor saharil son of yakshab son of yarab son of kastam ah if they were still alive we should harness them to a litter that they might bear us back speedily to the palace but what ails thee of what art thou dreaming she stares at him examines him closely ah when thou shalt be my husband i will robe thee i will perfume thee i will depilate thee antony remains motionless more rigid than a stake more pallid than a corpse thou hast a sad look is it because of leaving thy hermitage yet i have left everything for thee even king solomon who nevertheless possesses much wisdom twenty thousand chariots of war and a beautiful beard i have brought thee my wedding gifts choose she walks to and fro among the ranks of slaves and the piles of precious goods here is genezareth balm incense from cape Gadafui, labdanum cinnamon and sopium good to mingle with sauces in that bale are assyrian embroideries ivory from the ganges purple from elisa and that box of snow contains a skin of calibon the wine which is reserved for the kings of assyria and which is drunk from the horn of a unicorn here are necklaces brooches nets for the hair parasols gold powder from bassa cassitaria from tartessus blue wood from pandio white furs from isidonia carbuncles from the island palaisimondus and toothpicks made of the bristles of the takas that lost animal which is found under the earth these cushions come from imath 
and these mantle fringes from palmyra on this babylonian carpet there is oh but come hither come come she pulls saint anthony by the sleeve he resists she continues this thin tissue which crackles under the finger with a sound as of sparks is the famous yellow cloth which the merchants of bactria bring us i will have robes made of it for thee which thou shalt wear in the house unfasten the hooks of that sycamore box and hand me also the little ivory casket tied to my elephant's shoulder they take something round out of a box something covered with a cloth and also bring a little ivory casket covered with carving dost thou desire the buckler of Dgiam ben Dgiam, who built the pyramids behold it it is formed of seven dragon skins laid one over the other tanned in the bile of parricides and fastened together by adamantine screws upon one side are represented all the wars that have ever taken place since the invention of weapons and upon the other all the wars that will take place until the end of the world the lightning itself rebounds from it like a ball of cork i am going to place it upon thy arm and thou wilt carry it during the chase but if thou didst only know what i have in this little box of mine turn it over and over again try to open it no one could ever succeed in doing that kiss me and i will tell thee how to open it she takes saint anthony by both cheeks he pushes her away at arm's length it was one night that king solomon lost his head at last we concluded a bargain he arose and stealing out on tiptoe she suddenly executes a pirouette ah ah comely hermit thou shalt not know it thou shalt not know she shakes her parasol making all its little bells tinkle and i possess many other strange things oh yes i have treasures concealed in winding galleries where one would lose one's way as in a forest i have summer palaces constructed in trellis work of reeds and winter palaces all built of black marble in the midst of lakes vast as seas i have islands round as pieces of silver and all covered with mother-of-pearl islands whose shores make music to the lapping of tepid waves upon the sand the slaves of my kitchens catch birds in my aviaries and fish in my fish-ponds i have engravers continually seated at their benches to hollow out my likeness in hard jewel-stones and panting moulders forever casting statues of me and perfumers incessantly mingling the sap of rare plants with vinegar or preparing cosmetic pastes i have female dressmakers cutting out patterns in richest material goldsmiths cutting and mounting jewels of price and careful painters pouring upon my palace wainscoting boiling resins which they subsequently cool with fans i have enough female attendants to form a harem eunuchs enough to make an army i have armies likewise i have nations in the vestibule of my palace i keep a guard of dwarfs all bearing ivory trumpets at their back antony sighs i have teams of trained gazelles i have elephant quadrigae i have hundreds of pairs of camels and mares whose manes are so long 
that their hooves become entangled therein when they gallop, and herds of cattle with horns so broad that when they go forth to graze the woods have to be hewn down before them. I have giraffes wandering in my gardens. They stretch their heads over the edge of my roof when I take the air after dinner. Seated in a shell drawn over the waters by dolphins, I travel through the grottoes, listening to the dropping of the water from the stalactites. I go down to the land of diamonds, where my friends the magicians allow me to choose the finest. Then I reascend to earth and return to my home. She utters a sharp whistle, and a great bird, descending from the sky, alights upon her hair, from which it makes the blue powder fall. Its orange-coloured plumage seems formed of metallic scales. Its little head, crested with a silver tuft, has a human face. It has four wings, the feet of a vulture, and an immense peacock's tail, which it spreads open like a fan. It seizes the queen's parasol in its beak, reels a moment ere obtaining its balance, then it erects all its plumes, and remains motionless. Thanks, my beautiful Seymour anchor, thou didst tell me where the loving one was hiding. Thanks, thanks, my heart's messenger. He flies swiftly as desire. He circles the world in his flight. At eve he returns. He perches at the foot of my couch and tells me all he has seen. The seas that have passed far beneath him with all their fishes and ships. The great void deserts he has contemplated from the heights of the sky. The harvests that were bowing in the valleys and the plants that were growing upon the walls of cities abandoned. She wrings her hands languorously oh if thou wast willing if thou wast willing i have a pavilion on a promontory in the middle of an isthmus dividing two oceans it is all wainscoted with sheets of glass and floored with tortoise shell and open to the four winds of heaven from its height i watch my fleets come in and my nations toiling up the mountain slopes with burthens upon their shoulders there would we sleep upon downs softer than clouds. We would drink cool draughts from fruit shells, and we would gaze at the sun through emeralds. Come! Antony draws back. She approaches him again, and exclaims in a tone of vexation, How? Neither the rich, nor the coquettish, nor the amorous woman can charm thee? Is it so? None but a lascivious woman with a hoarse voice and lusty person with fire-coloured hair and superabundant flesh. Dost thou prefer a body cold as the skin of a serpent? Or are the great dark eyes deeper than the mystic caverns? Behold them, my eyes, look into them. Antony, in spite of him, gazes into her eyes. All the women thou hast ever met from the leman of the crossroads, singing under the light of her lantern, even to the patrician lady scattering rose petals abroad from her litter, all the forms thou hast ever obtained glimpses of, all the imaginations of thy desire, thou hast only to ask for them. I am not a woman, 
i am a world my cloak has only to fall in order that thou mayst discover a succession of mysteries antony's teeth chatter place but thy finger upon my shoulder it will be as though a stream of fire shot through all thy veins the possession of the least part of me will fill thee with a joy more vehement than the conquest of an empire could give thee approach thy lips there is a sweetness in my kisses as of a fruit dissolving within thy heart ah how thou wilt lose thyself beneath my long hair inhale the perfume of my bosom madden thyself with the beauty of my limbs and thus consumed by the fire of my eyes clasped within my arms as in a whirlwind antony makes the sign of the cross thou disdainest me farewell she departs weeping then suddenly turning round art quite sure so beautiful a woman she laughs and the ape that bears her train lifts it up thou wilt regret it my comely hermit thou wilt yet weep thou wilt again feel weary of thy life but i cannot a whit la 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 ho 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 she takes her departure hopping upon one foot and covering her face with her hands all the slaves file off before st anthony the horses the dromedaries the elephant the female attendants the mules which have been reloaded the negro boys the ape the green couriers each holding his broken lily in his hand and the queen of sheba departs uttering a convulsive hiccup at intervals which might be taken either for a sound of hysterical sobbing or the half-suppressed laughter of mockery End of chapter three